All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Building Lifelong Athletes podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Renneke. Thanks so much for stopping by. The goal of this podcast is to help keep you active and healthy for life through actionable, evidence-informed education. Like I said, my name is Jordan Renneke, and I really appreciate you being here today. Today, we're going to do another one-off episode. We're not going to be part of the season yet. We're still working up to that, but we're going to answer just a different question. So essentially, these are questions from the internet is how I'll say. Um, and pardon my voice, by the way. I'm recovering from a cold. I'm feeling good, but uh, if this is not as an enjoyable of an audio experience, I apologize. That is... That's on me. So I'll try to be not sick next time. But anyways, this one is going to talk about just some general questions, answering questions from the internet, from listeners, from friends, just kind of things. Every once in a while, I like to just kind of give my opinion on things. I think it can be helpful to hear my take on things. You can take it or leave it. Like I said, these are pretty much all my opinions based off of my experience and things I've seen. I'm not, you know, in this one, I'm not presenting hard evidence saying this is only actually here and this study shows this, that, and other thing. It's just kind of my global experience and what I find. But like I said, I think hopefully it's helpful to kind of see my perspective and how my brain works. So like I said, if you like it, great. If you don't, that's great too. Like I said, I'm not going to be not gonna be offended by that, but we'll kind of go from here. And the first question we have is from a, a listener friend of mine. The question is, is it better to work out three days a week for like two hours or work out six days a week for one hour? So at the end of the day, we're equating things, meaning, hey, working out for six hours total in the week, is it better to do that over three days or over six days? So great question. The cop-out answer that I'll give right away is that there's no one right answer. And so you might be like, well, that's worthless, Jordan. Like, okay, I'll break it down a little bit more. But like I said, there really is no answer. And honestly, it probably doesn't matter in all things considered. I think the question of how I'll break this down is how I think about it from the person asking this. In terms of, you know, the physical activity guidelines, all they really care about is total time working out. So, you know, when we talk about the physical activity recommendations, 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity or 75 of vigorous with two days of resistance training, like they don't really care when you do that. Like they've even said that you can get it all in one weekend. So like, you know, just do a really, really long workout on the weekend. That's fine. They do think it's better to do over the course of multiple days just because they think that probably it lasts, you know, leads to longer duration changes, meaning like, hey, you're more frequently working cardiovascular system or your muscles, like that's probably a better idea. But that being said, like from a physical activity standpoint, there's like, just do it, just get it in. So I think overall that's kind of there, but we have to consider a few things if you think about it, right? Like number one is what are your goals? Like what, what goals do you have and how do you want to work out, right? So how you work out will greatly affect, you know, how you choose to do this, whether it's, you know, if you want to do really, really long workouts, then obviously three days a week should be fine. If you need quicker ones, then number one, like time is your limiter, right? If time is your limit every day, then it's easy. Okay. Six days a week, one hour, that's fine. But like I said, all things considered, we'll talk about it. All right. So now I'm going to talk about just some pros and cons of the three versus six day work. We kind of walk through that here. So for the three day a week, the first benefit is you could potentially be fresher each day. And I say potentially because you're doing a pretty long workout to our workout. But if you do that and then you have an extra day to recover and you're feeling good, you might be a little bit fresher, meaning, hey, to start the workout, at least that so you're feeling a little better and can kind of go. It obviously depends on what you're doing and all that stuff. But that's kind of number one thing. Number two is you can probably work out similar muscle groups each time. Meaning if you just do a full body, boom, 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 each time, three times a week, you probably have enough time to recover and do all that stuff. And on top of that, the other biggest benefit is you have lots of time to do stuff. If you have a two hour workout, it's just like, that's a lot. And that's also kind of my first con is like two hours is a ton of time to work out. Maybe not, maybe you like that. You know, if you're lifting and you take five minutes between each set, that can easily add up fast. But like I said, that's a lot of time for most people in a busy day to be like, yeah, I'll just like carve out two hours. And, you know, some people do that. And, you know, if I had the choice to do that every day, I probably would. I think it'd be fun to do, but I got other stuff to do. So that's not happening. So that's a big thing. And then also, 
Um, another thing to consider is if you're doing two hours of working out, it depends on what you're doing, right? You might not have the highest quality work at the end. Meaning if you've been working hard for hour and a half, hour 45, like are those last 15 minutes going to be the same effort you gave at the start? Probably not. You know, I think you want to stack it and say, Hey, I'm the most important thing I'm gonna do first. Like if I care about resistance training or power training first, do that first when you're most fresh. But by the end of an hour and a half, like if you're doing that straight hour and a half, two hours, like you're probably not going to have the highest quality work. Now, that being said, it might not matter. If you're saying, hey, I do my strength, that's my focus, I do that first. And then by the end, I do my, you know, half hour of cardio and that's just, you know, getting some steady state in. You might not have to be the high end level for that. But that being said, you might suffer a little bit towards the end of that. And then moving on to six days a week, first benefit is we're going to have quick workouts, right? Six days a week, get in, get out. This is going to be an hour. That's pretty reasonable. I think most people like hours, like what they, they go for. And then another opportunity is you're doing more workouts. So you have more opportunities to hit muscle groups multiple times throughout the week. You know, very realistically with that, you could do things three times a week, potentially, you know, even four, depending on what you're looking for. So just more opportunities gives you more opportunities to hit different muscle groups. And then kind of going on the other end there, cons is you may not be able to fit everything you want into it, right? So that's the thing. It's like, oh, I only got an hour today. I can only do this. And I think that's probably the biggest con of this is not fit everything you want. I think most people, this is like the daily problem. It's like, oh, like I have this much amount of time. How can I do what I want to do in that time? And that's like the biggest thing. And my overall take though is like, I don't think it really matters. I think the most important thing is work out when you can and how you want to work out. Like personally for me, this would, I'd probably choose six times a week just to help build the routine and consistency. Like I said, hey, this is just what I do. Like the biggest thing with habits is like it becomes an identity. Like, oh, this is what I do. I get up, I work out. That's a, that's a thing I do. But I think you can get fitter and stronger doing either of them. It's not a big deal. Like I said, for me, I think it just work for building habits, consistencies. But if you're like, hey, I got, you know, I work a weird, you know, odd shift job. I work a couple of days a week. I work 12 hour shifts and I have these, alternate days off where I have lots of time, then go for it. Feel free to do that. But my biggest thing, pretty much anytime I'm talking about physical activity or working out is like, get it in when you can and do what you enjoy. Like that's the, by far the most important thing. The most important thing is that you're actually doing it. And whether that's three days a week, six days a week, doesn't matter. Um, especially here, like when it's equated for the total amount of time, theoretically, you should be able to fit the exact same amount of volume in, you know, if you're doing the same exercise on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you should be able to do the same amount of sets and you know breaking those up six days a week so like i said really this is splitting hairs do what works best for you i don't think it's a big deal and the next question i want to deal with is what's the deal with stretching so pretty much there's a pretty open-ended question saying like what do we do is it good should i not like when i just do lifting and i feel pretty good like i get range of motion like what's going on and and this is a super interesting question and the reason i say that is because i've gone back and forth in this in my career here of things and i this is a perfect example of kind of the pendulum swinging for me in, in terms of always learning and evolving the way I think. And so it's been cool. It's like a, it's one of those ones where if you ask me, like, what have I changed my mind about recently? Like this would be it probably back in, you know, probably, I don't know, seven years ago or not. I used to think like it was the most important thing, not the most important thing. Obviously I never thought like it was more important than like cardio or, or resistance training, but like, I used to think it was super important. Like I used to stretch daily. I was all about like doing mobility and like, I did it for like 10, 20 minutes every day. Like I thought it was like crucial, crucial. And I was like obsessed with it. And like the earlier version of my like YouTube presence was like doing tons of stretching videos and stuff. Those have been deleted from the internet, but I was really into it. Like I thought it was really beneficial. I felt good. And I just thought like, this is it. But the problem at that time is all like anecdotes, right? Like people saying like, oh, like I feel so good stretching. I do, you know, this feels good or this, and it just seemed like anecdotes. And then like kind of throughout my training process, like I started to look like at the more literature, kind of evidence informed, evidence-based medicine. And then uh, there's a whole side of that fitness world that's like pretty much will say like stretching is worthless, right? So then the pendulum kind of swung for me. I was like, oh, like it doesn't seem to do anything. Like why, why are we doing this at all? 
And like, it just kind of, so I kind of swung the opposite side of things saying like, oh, I don't think we need to do it. And, you know, just lift and throw full range of motion. It should be fine. And I just, yeah, I didn't, and to me, it was just, I didn't buy into it. I was like, ah, whatever. Like there was no literature to stand on. So whatever. And then I've kind of like swung back and like, I'm somewhere in the middle now. So I understand the paucity of research, meaning you go in there and look for what the literature says about like performance, about rehabilitation, about, um, you know, rehab, physical therapy, all that stuff. There's just not a whole ton in there to say, hey, we should be doing stretching for any specific reason. Like, I just don't see the evidence there. But that being said, like now, like anecdotally, from what I feel and from what I've seen is like people seem to get a, a lot of benefit from it. And so I think there's kind of a sweet spot. And so I've learned, you know, as I've learned, you know, evidence-based medicine, like I, you know, if you just looked at evidence-based medicine, I, and it can only tell you so much, right? It's going to be very hard to quantify the effects of stretching through evidence-based medicine, just through how heterogeneous the sample sizes, the stretching intervention, the person, their previous training history, like so many things that like, how do I extrapolate that to the person in front of me? And that's why like I said, I'm so big on like evidence informed medicine, meaning like, and just like, Hey, this is what we see in the data, but like, how does it apply to you as an individual person? Not just this global evidence-based medicine, like, you know, the most good for the most amount of people. I kind of like to tailor it to individual people. And so, but how do you quantify that? And so for me, it's kind of that sweet spot. And I think this is the problem all the time I see with evidence-based medicine is we have the evidence and it goes to a certain point. And then we have people's experience on the other end. And there's this big chasm between where there's like probably some gray and some truth there and people have had benefit, but like we don't have data to support it. But then we have like data showing that they shouldn't have gotten better than they did. And it's like, there's lots of just weirdness there. And like that gray is where most people live. And it's really challenging when you say, I don't have the data to support this, but people have this other experience. And I know there's people who will say like, well, that's just like, you know, anecdote, placebo effect, whatever. And like, to me, that's a whole other podcast discussion. But that being said, stretching is one where the risk reward ratio is like pretty solid, meaning like you're not really risking a lot by doing it. And so for me, I think the sweet spot is doing something if you feel like you need to do it. That's like really what it comes down to is if you're lifting and running and you feel good and you have like no aches and pains and like you're healthy and you're meeting physical activity guidelines, like I don't think you need to add stretching in to be like a, have a healthy life. Like I don't, I don't think that's the case. But if you're someone who, when you do mobility or stretching, you tend to feel better, you have less aches and pains, you have better range of motion to help you get into more range of motion with your lifting, like then I think it's reasonable to do. And so for me, like the sweet spot is doing some mobility with my other workouts and that's, that's what I do. And I've, I've kind of come to that where I, I don't know why I don't have the data support, why I feel the way I do, but like, I just know that I do. And that's what it comes down to. And I'm cool with that. And, but that being said, it's not taking any enormous amount of time away from things, right? Like I tend to have less stiffness and pain when I do some mobility and that's like, it is what it is, but I'm not spending an hour on, I'm not, you know, foam rolling for 30 minutes before my workout, turning my workout into a three hour workout, you know, nothing like that. And so I think I really think like we can compromise on this, meaning you can do kind of targeted mobility if you need to, or stretching. And it's like, Hey, if that really gives you a lot of benefit, that's fine. Like, I'm not going to show you an RCT saying like, well, the data shows like it's not any better, so you shouldn't do it. But like, if you subjectively feel better, that's fine. As long as you understand that, hey, you're not going to be lifting or running for those 10 minutes. And if that's the trade-off you're, you're willing to take, then that's fine. And so that being said, though, there is a compromise we can have that I think is pretty beneficial. Meaning if you really focus on full range of motion lifting, I think you'll get the vast majority of the benefits you'll need. So if you work through a full range of motion, meaning, you know, squatting, going as low as you can with control and intent, not just like flopping down, like, you know, it's like with, with control and can maintain good positions, you're definitely going to increase your range of motion. And we can do that, like I said, even with like bench press all the way down or, you know, 
elevate your hands on parallettes for pu- you know push-ups or anything like that. Like the more range of motion you get, the first of all, the better hypertrophy you're gonna get, which is a big thing too. So greater range of motion can lead to potential greater hypertrophy. But I also think that will access, you know, more range of motion for you. And so um, but that being said, when you do this, you have to use less weight, right? If you're doing a deeper range of motion than you're used to, you're gonna have to bring down the weight and then slowly get used to it and then bring it bring it back up slowly, slowly, slowly. But like I said, it can be very beneficial to do that. And when you're doing that, you are impre- improving your range of motion. I think all the studies will show that, that you know, you can increase range of motion in multiple ways, whether it's just static stretching, meaning you're just sitting there passively doing things or through these mechanisms, you can increase your range of motion. So for this is like killing two birds with one stone. And so this is kind of the approach I've shifted to a little bit. I'll do some targeted mobility, but then also I've really been focusing on like slowly, slowly, like eccentrically working on getting in range of motion, whether it's either just for a warm up or whatnot. And on top of that, you can also incorporate this into an active warm up, right? So fo- focusing on full range of motion throughout your, your active warm up, meaning, hey, if you want to, do a slow tempo squat, get into a full range of motion. That's your opening sets. Or like I said, push-ups on parallettes or anything like that, or like really like protracted scapulas when you're doing things. So just a bunch of different reasons or things you could do. And so I think that's kind of what I've tied myself into is like my earlier sets and warm-up sets. I'll kind of just do long range of motion to kind of feel good. And then finally though, if you just want to stretch, you say, hey, I like to feel good, you can do that. That's that's fine. Like I said, it's not that bad. There's data talking about, oh, if you do this passive stretch, you won't be as explosive. Like that's pretty hit or miss the data in terms of like they'd be long long stretches before extreme power things i think for most people stretching is probably fine i think the data probably shows you probably don't need more than 30 seconds at a time to increase that flexibility but you can do that and then i also have to mention that if you don't use it you're going to lose it and so you kind of have to do keep up with range of motion meaning if you stretch and find this new range of motion or do lifting of new range of motion you have to continue to go through that range of motion to maintain that if it's like not what you're inherently having so just something to consider as well but I also have to say, please, as my disclaimer, don't replace your cardio or resistance training for stretching. Like for me, like I said, that is not the biggest bang for your buck. I'd much rather have you do resistance training through a full range of motion. I think that would be a much bigger bang for your buck in terms of range of motion and strength, hypertrophy, all that stuff. So do not just switch it out saying, hey, I'm working out. Because honestly, I don't even think it's like working out. It's not part of the physical activity recommendations. Like I don't know what it's doing for you long term like we do, like we know resistance training and cardiovascular training is. So like I said, don't, like I don't count this as working out. I think it's accessory work. So that being said, that's my my one caveat here. But overall, like I said, stretching, uh, shoulder shrug emoji, it's it's okay, it's fine. It's not good, it's not bad, it is what it is. But it's also not, like I said, it's not the fix everything that some people say online, but it's also not like the devil like saying it's worthless like other people say. I think there's a time and place for it, just like most things. So that's my two cents on it. All right, and so finally, I'm gonna talk through a situation that I came across online. I was just kind of perusing through the internet, different forums and uh, question places. And I had a question or I saw a question that someone asked. It's a kind of a, a cool situation. I thought it would be interesting for just a talking point. So I'll kind of read the prompt. This is a 20 something year old female um, who works out six plus days a week, very active, has normal BMI, uh, is young in terms of, yeah, like I said, mid-20s, doesn't have any problems with blood pressure, doesn't smoke, rarely drinks, like eats a very healthy diet with whole you know, whole grains, fruits, veggies, fiber, lots of stuff, so really good things. Um, but they did a lipid panel and saw they had elevated cholesterol, like total of 250 and LDL of 160, so pretty elevated there. And then also had a family history of mom and dad having high cholesterol, and unfortunately they've had some issues with like heart attacks or strokes in her family, so kind of like first degree relatives. And then the question was, you know, doing this stuff, I've obviously been doing everything I can to keep lifestyle factors in check. Um, you know, genetics is probably 
playing a role in this? Like the question is, you know, are these numbers concerning enough to treat with medications? So this is like a common question I see on the internet. And like I said, depending on who you talk to or what you, you know, what you read, they can kind of get some varying answers. But this is just my thought on, this is a tough one, right? So this is one where this is a young person so in their 20s, right? So this is not gonna be in any calculator. So when we have like, atherosclerosis cardiovascular risk calculators usually they start at age like 40 is where it is so a 20 year old person they're gonna you're gonna type in the calculator they're gonna go they're literally gonna say it's too young like we, we can't do it just because the data sets don't include 20 year old people in the cohorts that they looked at before so we're gonna have to extrapolate anything that we know from a study perspective to this patient population and so this is one, once again this is another area where i'm like i said Evidence-based medicine is fantastic, and my goodness, like I love it. It helps us create, you know, protocols and make sure we have safe medications, and like it is needed and awesome. But this is one where if you just went straight evidence-based medicine, you're like, do not pass go evidence-based. You'd look at this, and you're like, uh, I, don't, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I, there's no, there's no guideline for you because this is the gray zone. And so this is where we get to use our brains, which is great. That's why the good Lord gave us brains is to kind of um, use them and think critically. And so for this one, you have to really think critically, and we're going to have to kind of work with the patient to think about that. So we're going to have to think about things. You know, when I initially see this presentation, a couple of things that concern me, they concern me that, you know, first of all, that high of an LDL, like that's decently high, you know, LDL, we want to be around like less than hundred is I goal, you know, ideal. Obviously LDL is not a perfect metric. That's a whole different sidestep. Meaning, you know, if we had an APOB, that might be helpful as well, but using just the LDL for what it is, we want to be like less than 100. 160 is pretty high. It's when we start thinking about, you know, kind of in that zone of what we call familial hypercholesterolemia, which is a genetic condition where you have elevated high, you know, LDL. And when you have that LDL in itself, it's like, okay, it's a risk factor. But then you have the family history. You know, you have direct family history. You have a strong family history. Like for me, that is concerning. Because like, clearly that indicates there's a genetic component that, like I said, regardless of what your all your risk factors are, you still have this genetic risk. So like I said, you're, you can have perfect numbers, right, of everything potentially. But you still have this genetic risk that maybe we don't quite understand yet. And we know that it may be a high risk for those people. So like for me, that is one where I say, hey, high number and a family risk, even though you're young, that's still someone I would think might benefit from a medication. And the reason I say this is because we think that lifetime exposure matters, right? It's not in like the whole world of cholesterol and lipidology is, is tricky too. Cause right. There's people who smoke and have high cholesterol and never have a heart attack or stroke. And that, that just, that happens. And there's other people who take care of themselves super well and their LDL is in check and things are good and they have heart attacks and it's, it's challenging. But like I said, what we do and how I treat this is I want to stack the deck in our favor as, as much as possible. So I try to take away all the risk factors that we can. So, and I think it's lifetime exposure, meaning the lifetime exposure to these risk factors matters, right? So the more exposure to these athogenic particles that you have over time can lead to plaque aggregation. The higher you have of your blood sugars, of your blood pressure, all these things can affect things. So like I said, it's not just like a, Hey, I had that good control in one period of time. Like, Hey, if you've, if you're, you know, 50s, 60s, and you've not done it before, you're still going to benefit from improving your lifestyle factors, like hundred percent. But that being said, if we can do that earlier, it's going to be great. So for this person, like I said, I really, really think it's important and we want to kind of aggressively control risk factors. So we're making sure that, Hey, our cholesterol, that's, you know, in a lower range of possible, probably need a medication. You're doing all the things exercise, right? Blood pressure is good. You're not smoking. Um, your blood sugar is good. Making sure we're not insulin resistant. Like those things, like I said, we just want to control as many factors as possible, right? Like it's impossible to do everything in life, but there are certain things we can try to like hone in on and say, if you have this one risk factor, this genetic risk factor that we know we have, which is not modifiable yet through medicine or, or gene editing or anything like that yet, but you have this, okay, then we really have to be locked in for all these other ones. So this is one way I kind of talk to them and say, hey, what's your personal preferences, you know, 
they might, they might come to you and say, Hey, I want to be on medication. Like I saw my parent or family member go through a stroke and I don't, I don't want that. Like, I do not want that. And they may prioritize starting medication earlier. And that's why you just talk to people. That's what it comes down to. And the internet, you'll see people yelling at people saying one size fits all. And it's, that's never the case. If someone says one size fits all, then they're probably selling you something. That's just how it works. So overall, like I said, this was just kind of a couple of Q and A, like Dr. Renicki answers questions from the internet. I just wanted to kind of run through some scenarios and things, just some talking points just to say, hey, this is how the nuance that I think about things and not to say my approach is perfect by any way, shape or form. It's clearly not, but just to kind of bring you into how I think about problems and questions and understanding the world is a complex place. There's a lot of gray, but we use the principles of evidence and form medicine, meaning, hey, what does the evidence say? And then how do we apply that to you as an individual? Like that's like the biggest thing. And so I really appreciate stopping by though. I said it would mean the world to me if you subscribe to um, this channel on YouTube or to the podcast or the newsletter on my website. There's a link in the show notes here. I said I'll just send out information every once in a while. I'll never spam you. But thanks again for joining me. Now get off your phone, get outside, and enjoy the rest of your day. Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.